Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. All right, this one goes out to any advisor who has company swag, goes out to the advisors who send gifts to clients and prospects, and the advisors who sometimes send their swag as the gifts. In our industry and in business in general, it's pretty common practice to send or receive branded swag as a thank you for doing business with us, right? But the problem is, most of the time, if we're being honest, it's meaningless junk. I don't know about you, but a keychain or a mug with a big company logo on it isn't exactly something I'm going to cherish for the rest of my life. In fact, I just looked up the word swag and it actually stands for stuff we all get. That's a direct quote. So in other words, little to no thought or personalization. Sending gifts like this is a super well-intentioned action, but it's actually doing you and your business more harm than good. So this episode is about what you should be doing instead. Brad's going to be talking to John Rulin, a New York Times bestselling author of the book Giftology, who has turned gifting into a system that's going to allow you to cut through the noise, increase referrals, and strengthen relationships with the people who matter the most. Before we get into the show, we have something special for DBDL listeners. John had a private fireside chat with the Triad community where he spent 90 minutes pulling the curtain back on the art of gifting. Now, in order to protect our members, we can't share the whole thing, but we want to add as much value to you as possible. So we're going to share the first four pages of those notes. To gain access, really quick two steps. First, you're going to text the number 18, not the word, to the DBDL Insider phone number. That's 785-800-3235. The number's also in the show notes. From there, we're going to send you a text back with the link so that you can grab the bonus materials. Please note, text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by replying stop to any of the messages you receive. If you want the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed, you can head to bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 18. As always, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for listening on today's conversation between Brad and John Rulin. Welcome back to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. This is fun. I've got a friend, John Rulin, here with me this morning. So, John, welcome to the show. Dude, thanks for having me. This is long overdue to come back and visit and hang out, man. Thanks for your friendship and, and belief in what we do. Yeah, we were reminiscing before we hit the record button here, and you were one of the early guests on my original show, The Elite Advisor Blueprint, and Joey Coleman, a mutual friend, was one of the guys that connected. I think he might have been episode three or four. He was super early on, and he's like, hey, I got a guy you got to meet. His name's John Rulin, and I think a lot of his, his playbook on the first 100 days that became Never Lose a Customer Again, a lot of the giftology kind of frameworks were woven into that. And then you came on the show, you crushed it. I think then you came out to one of the events we were doing back in the day and crushed that. And so, and then a friendship was formed. That was the cool part. Just got to know each other, went to some events, mastermind talks together. So this conversation, number one, I feel like it's good to have a friend back because I mean, we really, we've been running so fast, each of us, we haven't had a chance to connect. So hopefully we don't go too far down the path of just talking life here and add some value to, to the audience. So Catch me up, John. What have you been been up to, my man? Yeah, well, I've been focusing more on family. I mean, you know, we both are part of Front Row Dads and Froman's group, which I think was one of the first gatherings, you know, outside of business that we kind of got together at. And it's one thing to say, like, family's first. It's another thing to walk it. And so I'm 
I cut my travel back by 80%. You wouldn't know that from social media. I'll take one stage and slice it into 40 clips. So it looks like I'm on 40 stages when really I'm on just one massive stage speaking wise. So we bought 40 acres, Hal and Tucker and all those guys, the 40 acre club. So Ruland Ranch, we looked in Austin, we ended up buying it just out 20, 20 minutes outside of St. Louis. So we just got chickens delivered by the post office. I didn't know they oh, could chickens yesterday. My girls are, we got 20 chickens, little peeps, but I read a book within the last year called Becoming a King. A mentor of mine challenged me to read it. His name is John Marsh. Kind of a cool story. He's buying up dead towns and bringing them back to life with hospitality and excellence and, and renewing people spiritually, emotionally, financially. But he's like, you got to read this book. And part of it is like, we've outsourced everything and as men and getting our hands dirty and going back to like understanding where your food comes from and can you kill your own food and all that kind of stuff, which a lot of people are into that, like end of the world homestead stuff, but just from a spiritual perspective. And so I've been trying to slow down, not trying, I've been slowing down, got the chainsaw out. I've been going back to the farm boy roots of Ohio, not milking goats yet, but we're talking about cows. I'm, I'm on the John Deere tractor for four or five hours at a time. My girls are sitting on my lap. And it doesn't always make sense financially when you talk about trading out time, but from a soul perspective, for me, that investment and slowing down, but I'm still like business-wise, like our speaking fees are up domestically at 50K. So when I do leave the house, I'm able to go like do some big things and then go back and slow down and spend time with my, my four girls. And so, so yeah, it's a little, a mini snapshot of, of kind of what's up. Cool, man. Well, uh, being mutual farm boys, I remember that was one of the ways that we connected. I didn't have goats, so we didn't have that going on, but chickens, pigs, cows, definitely a lot of time on a John Deere tractor, 4640. For those of you that know what that number means, that will tell you that uh, you've grown up on a farm. But yeah, man, I think COVID, it's interesting. You look at the uh, societal effects of that. It forced me to slow down. I mean, I was on the road 70, 80 nights a year at one point. And I've seen this trend following very similar to what you're talking about, where people are like buying up some acreage. Jason Gaynard, mutual friend, he's, he's got cows now, right? And yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, man, dad, did you know that farming is cool again? Like people are going back to the farm and uh, seasons you know, and cycles. I, so my dad, Brent's one of a kind. So I don't think you've ever had a chance to meet him yet, but you would remember if you did, he could uh, probably start a little mastermind on the farm and he would teach you all kinds of things that could help the farming cause for those entrepreneurs out there going back to the roots. Yeah. I think we start, at least for me, I realized that a lot of the dinners and a lot of the masterminds, a lot of things, nothing wrong with them, but they didn't like my time doesn't scale. Like if I'm spent, if I'm having dinner with somebody, if I'm traveling on a plane to go somewhere, there's like 99 or 900 other people I can't be with namely my family, but also my business and whatever else. And so it's kind of selfish, like you know, having a gifting agency and sending crazy stuff. That was the thing that did scale. I could hit 500 cities in one day and, and make an impact. It's not the same as face-to-face. I think I used to like in my head say gifting was better than face-to-face. It's not, but I can get 80 to 90% of the way there. And so I realized like, I just, like a lot of these groups, like they're cool, but I can get access to them in other ways. I built out a network and relationship and made investments. And so I just started saying no to things I normally would have been like fear of missing out. And my business hasn't slowed down. It's grown more like speaking, consulting, 
even I've been able to spend some time getting advisor shares in other companies based upon the, you know, the influence and the platform that we built. And I can say yes to those things because I'm not on a plane, because I'm not spending three days at a, at a gathering and then coming back destroyed energy wise. And so I think at least for me, it made me reevaluate a bunch of the things I was doing. And I realized I could cut out 80% of that stuff, pick the 20% that really mattered. And there's still times where I, I have a fear of missing out because I like to be around people. And you yeah. know, we just hung out. Our mutual friend, Pete, just hosted a gathering talking about a vision that he has. And it was at Hobby Lobby's headquarters with David Green, you know, the guy worth 15 billion and John Maxwell's there. I did fly in for that, but I left instead of staying for three days, I flew in for 12 hours and flew home the next morning at 5 a.m. So I could be home before the girls woke up and, and have a full day at home versus being away for three full days. In the past, five years ago, I never would have done that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the thing I've realized along those lines is as your kids get older, because man, like all of the cliches are coming true of it goes by in the blink of an eye. Like I've got a 13 year old now and I know you're, do you have a teenager yet? I know you're pretty dang close if you don't. Yeah. She's actually in the, in the room here with me. She, um, we got up this morning, I played basketball and then we took her to her first volleyball camp and Reagan is 12, but I would say that intellectually, emotionally, she's beyond her years. If she wants to, she can come over and say hi, but yeah, it's crazy to think that like, you know, I remember come on, being- come on over, Reagan. Come on over. You're almost all the say hello to a bunch of financial advisors out there. There you go. Yeah. So you can't tell because I'm I'm closer to the camera, but she's as tall as my wife. She wears size 11 shoes, so she's with bigger shoes. But yeah, I mean, when you see like your daughter, who was like, you remember like being them being four years old and like on your lap, and now like mm-hmm. you know going into being a young adult, you're like, dude, like 12 to 18 is going to go even faster. So it's. Yeah. it's made you know having having kids creates stricter boundaries which makes you more i think more effective with the time that you have you don't waste it so 100 percent. thanks for being with me thanks on that note john i missed a point earlier that i want to go back because i want to our time is limited and i want those that didn't catch our first interview it was literally right as your your i believe it was your first book had you written a book before giftology with Berghoff and those guys, we did one of those, oh, those books yeah, where like, everybody wrote a chapter, but I don't really yeah, count that okay. as writing a book. That's more of like a, a gathering of essays. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. So your first solo official book, you basically came on there. It had essentially just dropped the book Giftology. And so I, I do want to go back and recap some core takeaways because I'll tell you that I mean, it was a skinny book which by the way, financial advisors love because it doesn't take long to read it and we've got short attention spans, right? But with some really, really core principles in it that I still operate from today. And I I didn't feel like I was a bad gift giver before that, but there was just, it was a different lens to look through when giving gifts. But I want to start with the gift that you gave me because it was like this butterfly effect. And So these are kind of fun when you look at like these little decisions in life and how they work. So Brad starts a podcast back in 2015-ish based on advice from Michael Hyatt of like, hey, I can't get all these successful financial advisors together in one place. Michael's like, hey, maybe you should start a podcast. So, okay, let's figure it out. Talk to Charlie up in Canada. Boom, it's live. Start having conversations via Zoom. Joey Coleman's like, I think you're episode five or six, maybe seven, John. Talk to my guy, John. Immediately we we connected and you're just one of those guys, you walk in a room, it's like you just are kind of natural with human relationships. 
But also we had the shared core, small town upbringing, grew up on a farm. So there were a lot of commonalities there. But then I remember we did a podcast and we got kind of understood the family dynamic. I think you had three kiddos at the time. The fourth one hadn't been born. I had yeah. three kiddos. Actually, I might only had two at the time now that I think about it. No, I just had my third. And the next thing I know, you say, hey, I think it was literally this simple. You go, I'm a dad. You're a dad. My buddy John Broman's running a, a front row dad's retreat up in Philly. I'll buy your ticket to the event. Just come along with me. I think, I think you'll enjoy it. Good group of guys up there. So fast forward, we go up there. John, who runs Front Row Dads, who's been a guest and who's influenced me a ton, that was the very first Front Row Dads experience ever. It was heavy in a Cutco Mafia, all of which were named John by sheer coincidence. Yeah. Then so there great. was also a Keller Williams group, Mike McCarthy and that crew. And, and then there was a few random guys sprinkled in like me. But at that event, Jim Shields was there. Mm-hmm. And that was my first introduction to the family board meeting. Jim and Jamie were literally just on, you know, there were a few episodes back by the time this goes live. But that family board meeting concept literally completely changed the dynamic of how I connect with my kids as a dad. That was the intro. And that was like, a now here we stand a decade later having this conversation. And these little micro decisions that put me in rooms with guys like you, surrounding myself with guys that had aligned values and were going and living life on their terms. I just share that because I was putting that all together. I'm like, dang, Michael Hyatt advice, Joey Coleman's intro, you saying, being kind enough to say, hey, just come with me. Let's level up as dads and that trajectory, how it's impacted my life to this point. It's like these little decisions have such monumental shifts in the direction in life. And so I don't know if you want to share any of that on your side or your perspective, because I know that's kind of how you live life with relationships. But yeah, man, what are your thoughts? Because it's just been a really cool journey that brought you and I together. Yeah, I think uh, it's fun to, I think, I don't think enough people connect the dots backwards and say, like, wow, that person did this, that turned into this, that turned into this, that, like, I don't think, I think we're moving so fast. But when you do and you start to realize the power of, like, it's cool to have 10 million followers on Instagram, but a lot of times there might be a few dozen relationships that literally like alter all areas of our life. And for me, you know, one of the mentors, Paul, who inspired me to write giftology, he was a law firm owner. And, you know, that was one guy for me. And, but there's, there's been a number of pillars. And so a lot of times I think that sort of thinking strategically about relationships, it's like, Oh, you know, I want to, I want to be a part of strategic coach. That's 25 grand. No problem. I want to be part of this mastermind 50 grand. No problem. Like, we'll make all these investments, but we oftentimes like that's cool to be in the right room with those people. But a lot of times like they're not investing and taking the time to invest in the relationships that actually can really like pour into us that could shift the decision or open the door, or do the different things. And so for me, I've realized like there in a handful of relationships that I could invest tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it still wouldn't be enough based upon the impact that they've had on my life. Like it's literally like added zeros to the bank account. And it's so crazy how the right people out there being an ambassador for you when you're not in the room and like willing to go and like, I would spend time with Rory Vaden, like realize like a lot of people think they have loyalty with relationships and what they have is passive loyalty. Like they think, oh, this client stays with me. This employee stays with me. 
And what they have is somebody that's collecting a paycheck or if like somebody asks, Hey, who's your plumber? They'll give the name. But like, what I've realized is like having people like you in my life or Michael Hyatt, where they're fully bought in and are looking for opportunities for me to win, to open the door, to shift, to bring me to a, a gathering, to say, I want you there so bad. I'm going to buy your ticket for you. Like I've had people do that for me and the power of that, of like that belief and that commitment to want me to win and to be there and say, I'm going to pay for it. Not just your ticket. I'm going to buy your plane ticket too. And I think so many times people, they wonder like, well, how did that person get that door open or get in that circle of influence or connect with the, the Joey Coleman's or the Gary Vaynerchuk's or the whoever like they think is you know doing something significant. And a lot of times it's, it's all of the little stack decisions and investments that you make into the, those people that are the difference maker of like that person was top of mind and I wanted to see them win or, Hey, they're, I like them. They're a nice guy, but I have hundreds of nice people in my life. And I think people think, well, I'm likable. Like, cool. But are you memorable? Do people like, want to see you win. And I, and I think you've been that for me. And I hope I'm, I'm that for you. Cause when I, I, I remember Pete saying, dude, when you're in somebody's corner, like it's not like a casual loyalty, you're banging the door down for other people, not for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you are able to be known for somebody that's like, dude, it's not, it's one thing to say, I got your back. It's another thing to actually like with your time, energy, resources, social capital, money, everything to actually like put all of that together. And that's unusual. And when you feel that, like, Hey, you want to reciprocate Hey, you want to lock arms B you want to lock arms with that person. And so uh, Joey's been that for me. I didn't meet Jason Gaynor without Joey and mastermind talks and Jim Shields and Cameron Harold and like all those people. Yeah. It's like, it's been the difference maker in the book being successful, the speaking, being successful, the business being successful. Like talking to my mentor, John Marsh, I'm like, we both agreed. We're not that smart. We're not that cool, but we have applied simple principles of investment and relationships and, and had some of God's favor, whether you believe in a God or not. Like for me, that's been a big deal of like, I couldn't have orchestrated some of the things that have happened. I've just tried to be faithful with the relationships that have been given to me and not hold back five or 10%. Like I, I try to go above and beyond and let the chips fall where they are. And over time, over decades, some insane things have happened. Yeah. You said a couple things there, but investing into relationships, one of the things, and I'm, I'm going to open up some of your playbook because I think what's kind of fun is it's one thing to show up on a podcast and, you know, have a 60 minute conversation. And like, you can have a lot of fun there. You can really get to know people, but sometimes it's what happens after the podcast. Right. And to your point of like going to these mastermind groups, you meet 60 people, we've all been there and it's like a really good two or three days. And then that's the end of the relationship. It's like, Hey, that was a good conversation. You don't hear anything. There's not really that ongoing connection. It's like kind of the shallow versus going deep. And when you say invest, here's a couple things that happened when I first met you, I felt like you were in the Brad Johnson fan club. And what I mean by that is obviously the Cutco playbook. You're very humble, but the all-time highest-selling Cutco rep of all time is you. And that's because you looked at that business differently, more relationship building versus selling cutlery. But this high-end Cutco knife set shows up at my house after the podcast. And I already know your dang playbook, bro. Like, I know the playbook. And But I will tell you still, every time to this day, they're sitting right on our counter. We use them about every family meal. 
there's this little underlying like, man, that Sean Ruland's a good dude. It's and I know you talk about artifacts and ongoing use versus, you know, send a bottle of wine. Yeah, that's a great dude. But then a year later, that's gone. Right. But there's a few things you did that became part of my playbook. Number one, you started making, and I, I know you got a vet relationship. You don't want to just like open up your playbook and, and like, here's my whole network. There's a lot of trust when you open up like relationships. But I think there was an early belief of like, wow, Brad's doing kind of a cool podcast. It's helping financial advisors. Intro to Cameron Harold. He came on the show. But you didn't make like, hey, Cameron, meet Brad, text. It was like your text intro was literally a little mini biography of like, here's why I love what this guy's doing. Here's why I love what this guy's doing. You guys are both doing cool things. You should connect. I think not only will it serve you there, but I, I could see you guys forming a friendship too. And they were like the warmest intros. And because of that, you taught me how to do intros properly. Mm. Birthday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this too, because I've used this playbook and it's impacted my personal relationships. If you're lucky enough on your birthday to get a text message, a Facebook message, a LinkedIn message, you should feel very blessed. There's people out there that think about you and love you and appreciate you. But what I will say social media has created, like LinkedIn specifically, it's click a button, happy birthday. And now there's like 40 like happy birthdays all written the same way, right? And you're like, oh, yeah. well, they thought of me enough to click a button. So that's cool. I can't like think that that's a negative. But I will tell you, my friend, Anthony Pellegrino, he calls it putting a scratch in the record. And how you have wished me happy birthday puts a scratch in the record. Even a bunch of texts, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. And then I get a text from John, and it's a selfie iPhone video. I remember one of them specifically, you're in the back of an Uber somewhere. And you go, Brad, what's up, man? John here. Saw it was your birthday today. Was thinking of you. Here's what I appreciate about you, man. And like you went into like something that was authentic, that was real, that was a conversation we'd had or how I'd shown up. And it was like maybe 30 seconds a minute, nothing too long. And then you're like, hey, have a great birthday. Hope you enjoy your day. And I'm like, damn, this dude, he took the time for a personal heartfelt happy birthday wish. And because of that, I'm like, I'm not sending any more happy birthday texts. That's not how Brad's going to roll from now on. And so (laughs) I've replicated that and I send out birthday videos now. And actually a lot of my friends now do because they're like, they get mine and they're like, Dude, that hit way different. I'm going to start doing that too. So anyway, I just want to go into like a little bit behind the scenes. Yes, there's send a gift, but you go so authentic and deep and it's why you build meaningful relationships and it's why you have so much relationship equity. So give me some of the thought process or playbook or things you've learned along the way, John. I don't want this to be, I'm just sharing some of it because it's so awesome how you do it. And I think it can help a lot of advisors out there. Yeah. Well, I think that you mentioned something, you don't just open up your Rolodex to anybody, and I don't either, but part of what makes what we do work, and I, I, I didn't realize this for the first probably 10 or 15 years, is if you're a douchebag and you give great gifts, all you do is magnify that you're a douchebag. So what I realized is who you are, who you're being, like matters the most and i used to think it was like i could like do the great gifts and, I'm, and i started to understand that like if i did a like with these crazy two thousand dollar artifact mugs that made billionaires cry if i give that to somebody cold and have no relationship with them or their wife 
or husband gives that to them, their spouse. The same thing given, but whoever has the relational capital, now there's a multiplication effect. If the relational relationship is at a zero and you multiply it times a million, you still have zero. Now, if you have a relationship that's a million and then you give a million dollar level, and, and I, I kind of like this is kind of a Jesse Itzler concept of like a billionaire versus a spiritual billionaire. And like he talked about, like a lot of people just focus on the, the financial, but if you multiply that times your spirit and your spirit's zero, billion times zero is still zero. And so I started to recognize that like who you are is part of the gift because it shows like if somebody's that, that you love and respect and adore, it's your hero, it's your mentor. If they give you a Rolex that's engraved with a certain quote versus just some cold, like just some person that's trying to buy your attention or trying to buy your loyalty, the same thing, but it communicates to who you are being and who you are magnifies what times the gift. And so a lot of times people are like, John, I don't care about gifts. I'll invest in dinners and rounds of golf. I'll, I'll invest in this. I'll invest in, in coaching to six figures. They have the peanut brittle budget. And I'm like, that's fine. Go be a, go learn how to be an amazing human being, a business owner, whatever else. And But really the thing is all it is, is like it shows somebody the, the physical gift. If you do it well, it should be a transfer of love and emotion. It should be a delivery vehicle for that connection of like, I see you. I took the time out of my busy day and, and used my relationship, my, my resources, my time, my energy. And here's that transfer to you. And if, it, if you have a tight relationship with that person, you do it well, there's this multiplication effect. And so I started to recognize that, yeah, my recipe works universally in financial services, insurance, works in New York City, works in Africa. There is a missing ingredient. And I didn't realize that the person who's giving it, like, because I would see like people give, like, get like amazing results with the exact same recipe of, you know, dropping a hundred grand and somebody else would drop a hundred grand and get one tenth results of referrals and deal flow and access. Cause those are the outcomes that we want, right? Like nobody's like, man, I just need a gifting budget. Like you're investing in the relationship, hoping that your business grows. You're hoping that revenues grow. You're hoping that that person talks about you actively on the, at the golf course or the board meeting or the dinner table or whatever, like with their inner circle, you're wanting some sort of outcome. And I started to notice that like two people would do the exact same recipe in the same industry. And one would get insane results and one wouldn't. And so it's made me want to work more with like world-class givers that are really good at what they do. And, and it's now it's a genuine extension of who they are versus a manipulation of like maybe what they want to be or what they hope to be, yeah. but they aren't there yet. And so anyway, like the whole giftology stuff works and I see people, it works with college students, it works in all industries, but that was an ingredient that I didn't recognize. And so whether you put a logo on something or not, if you're a douchebag, like not going to work. But if you're, an, if you run a, a really good doubt in business and you start to realize, man, like I've been doing this wrong and the logos, that's a manipulation. That That's not an extension of who I really want to be. Like, that's not excellence. That's not a gift. That's, that's a, a promotional product and yeah. yep. a handwritten note, like your point of like the videos, like, why does that matter? Because it makes the other person feel seen and like, wow, like this person, like it's like the five love languages. If you can leverage any one of those five, great. If you can leverage all of them, even better. But like the video works because of like, man, Brad matters, John matters. And even if you're a billionaire, that like we all want our legacy to have been like somebody who matters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wrote down a few notes here just on the giftology and I want to, I want to kind of pull a few things out of that, maybe speak to those because yeah, I know like it's almost a decade old now, the, the book, but there's some timeless principles in there that I think we can talk about. And then I want to definitely get into 
how that's evolved because you're moving in a direction of, I believe you call it rich in relationships. So I want to get there too. But the one you just hit, one of the, and by the way, listen in right here, financial advisors, like this is our industry. If what, if the gift you send has your company's logo on it, one of the things in the book that I remember that just slapped me across the face is that is a marketing item, not necessarily a gift. And what I've seen with your gifts, they're about the receiver, not about the company that sends them. And I know you've been in finance enough. I mean, I had a closet full of poloed golf polos, right? Like they were all the insurance carriers and all that. So, so give me like kind of your, your thoughts there. Maybe we can riff on that one a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think that at a core level, like you never go to your best friend's wedding and on the beautiful Tiffany's vase or whatever you're going to give them, you'd never put like compliments of like UBS or Ernst and Young or Mm -hmm. like you just wouldn't like, that'd be the cheesiest thing in the world. And so I think that what we forget is like, you're not in the insurance business. Like most advisors that are at a world-class level are like, we're about relationships. We're about legacy. We're about like, think about the words that you use with that family that's wealthy, that you're engaging to help either secure their wealth or mitigate their risk or all these different things. Yeah, like you want, like, you know, you built a relationship with somebody when they invite you over to where, not the office, to the home. Yeah. What do you do? Like you gather in the kitchen, you bake bread, whether you're, I don't care what, if you're worth a million dollars or a billion dollars. Like, and so I think a lot of times we we think in business, we're like, man, I'm going to invest this money in this Patagonia, whatever, or you're like, I'm world-class. And I'm like, when you put your logo on it, now all of a sudden it's not about you. It's not about them. It's about you. And like, you'd never do that to your wife or your husband. Like, Hey honey, like I got you a beautiful shirt. Like you're, it's monogrammed with my name. Like we'd never do that, but somehow we've forgotten that like the best branding and marketing is like real relationship with people and making them feel special and inspiring them to want to see you in. Cause and like John came, one of our mutual friends, like he's beautiful at like putting the spotlight on everybody else. And guess what happened? It reflects back on you. When you're not yeah. in the room, they're talking about you. And so that people want to be branding and marketing experts, the best branding and marketing is going deep and making somebody like at a soul level feel so loyal to you that they can't help but want to tell stories about you. And so the logo, even subconsciously, basically says, I want you to be a billboard. I'm not sure if we have a good relationship. So here's something I hope that you'll go like wear and be a billboard for my brand to other people. And it feels icky. It feels broke. Even if they're like, oh, cool, maybe they wear it once a year at the golf tournament to make you feel better. And maybe even they're a person who likes swag. So sometimes people are like, John, my, people love my swag. I'm like, that's cool. But are they crying when they get it? Because even if they like swag, I guarantee if their house is on fire, they're not grabbing the polo shirt or the Patagonia vest. Right. They're grabbing the things that have the most meaning, the most story, the most that represent that are irreplaceable because of the story and the meaning behind them. And I've had people with the stupid knives and the mugs and whatever else, like literally like people worth nine figures, the guy that just sold his lumber, five, fifth generation lumber business to a publicly traded company. He did one of the mugs for his wife. And unfortunately they have three kids. They're away. They're out of Georgia. The house got broken into ransacked. And when the wife got home, she didn't go check her jewelry, although she had a lot of jewelry. She went to the freaking kitchen and he told me this. I was like, dude, you got it. Like, you have to say this on camera because nobody would ever believe you. The first thing that she went to do is like, she went and checked to see if the mug was broken. Why? Because it's so personal to her, like logos and all those kind of things just absolutely 
ruin the impact of what you could have with those affluent relationships. So much there. I'm going to just let that sit for a second. I couldn't agree more. I think there's like from the business perspective, I think what gets in the way, because everything we're talking about right now, the reason we're here on this Zoom right now is there was a real relationship formed. And I mean, a gift to me is should at the core be to strengthen a relationship, not to buy a result. And one of the things I see in business happen all the time is, oh, well, it's not a, a, a write-off on taxes if it doesn't have your logo, because then we can classify it as a marketing expense, all that. Here's the thing. I think the other way to look at it, just straight business, is, okay, I go out and I get a bunch of super high-end golf bullets, which these days, 100 150 bucks, depending on what ones you're buying. And now I put my logo right here, top, you know, the, the top left chest area or on the sleeve. The truth is to your point, like you use the wedding example. When I go hang out and I want to just like, you know, go over to a friend's, you know, meet with some other couples, whatever, I'm actually not selecting that one. And it's because of the logo. Like it could be a, a golf shirt that I would actually go wear over there, but it's it's almost like it works exactly the opposite of how it should. And I've seen companies that actually think through this and like, okay, I still want it to be a marketing expense. But you can do very subtle, like, hey, lower right hand corner, same, you know, white on white, black on black, where the logo is there, but it's not in your face, like flashing like a billboard. And I think just sometimes there's so much waste in our industry. Because yes, you want to send nice things and them to get warm, but they actually don't because of how it's presented. So yeah. I, I don't know if I'm breaking a rule for you or not, John, but I've just seen it no, like I, the right I, way, subtle, and then I mean, the wrong way, like of, big. There's a handful of brands. Like if you go to Harvard, you love the Harvard logo, right? There's a there's a connection to it. And then and even like some guys, like we were down at Genius Network with Joe Polish and Chris Voss and some of these guys. And Joe's built kind of a community where people are kind of honored to be a part of the Genius Network and yeah. kind of like it. And so, but even if your logo adds value, like that, even if somebody wears it, like my goal isn't to, from a branding and marketing, like if I can invest like a camera, like I invested 25 grand in that relationship over 10 years. And most people in marketing would be like, man, if I could just get a three to one or a two to one ratio on my dollar, put a dollar in, get $3 back out. Like that's an amazing marketing machine. And what I found is if you can get to somebody's heart and soul, you could put a dollar in and get a hundred dollars back out. When you strengthen the relationship and, and hit them at that soul level, like you know, now you get them not just as a passive person, you get them as a sales rep, advocate, ambassador for your brand. And I don't care if somebody wears my logo on their chest, I want them speaking life and words out of their mouth to the people I could never get into the room with. Because when they're speaking that to a peer, which they're, you're never going to get referred to ballers if you, the person that you are is not a peer with who you're connecting to as a client or as a center of influence or as a referral partner. And so it's like the people who constantly are taking selfies with somebody and athletes and whatever else. And don't get me wrong. I love when I can get a picture with a Jocko or a Vaynerchuk or whatever else. But I try to make it so that's not like a fanboy where I'm like down here trying to just touch the cloak of the person. Like I yeah. want them to view me as a peer here. And most peer. advisors yep. want them. They're like, why am I not getting more referrals? I know they run in that country club. I know they serve on that board. I know they are part of that charity. 
I know that their like brother-in-law runs this huge company. Why are they not talking about me? And everything that you do, it's like going into a restaurant. If you go into the restaurant, it's an amazing place, amazing steaks, hundred dollar steaks. And then the wine list is two buck Chuck in your head. You're like, what the hell? Like something's off here. Cause yep. you're like, like every little detail and investment either says I'm a peer. I don't need you to go wear my brand. I want to inspire you with a story, with a connection, with a relationship where you want to go talk about me and see me win. And when you're at the dinner table or you're at the board meeting and somebody says something about risk, not about like, they're not saying, Hey, who's your financial advisor? No, they're talking about something where they're like, man, there's an opening here. I need to like figure out a way to say five words that make that other CEO that make that other baller or chairman say, I want to talk to your guy. I want to talk to your consultant. I want to talk to your advisor. And that only happens when you make deposits in a relationship and there's a trust, when there's it's peer-to-peer, you're not just the insurance guy. Like, I never wanted to be just the knife guy. Like, people like to this yep. day are like, ah, really, the knives thing? I'm like, you don't understand. We're not in the knife business. We're not even in the gift business. We're in, like, how do you, like, inspire relationships to go out and, and advocate and then be an ambassador on your behalf? Very different thing than, hey, I can sell cool gifts with things on it and send it out. Like, no, nobody, like, that's not going to get the CEO of a billion dollar company's attention. But when I show them how to make investments in their, their key relationships and inspire them to go be loyal, actively loyal and run through walls for them and put a take a dollar and turn it into a hundred dollars. Now, all of a sudden they're like, I don't care if you're selling gerbils, John, like if you can help me like recruit another 20 key engineers or to get a COO or like, we'll send some gerbils, like whatever you say to do, like if it's going to get the results that we want to deepen relationships, we're in. And so that's where like people like, John, I I got a budget of $200. I'm like, this is a $2 million relationship. Are you like, I'm not a mathematician. I'm just a farm kid. But if I could make $2 million, I'd be willing to invest a million dollars to make 2 million, like just basic math, like double my money. And, but most people don't understand that from a relationship capital, they shortchange themselves and they're like, what's the least I can get away with? They're like, that's stupid. Or what if I do that and it doesn't work? Or what if I, I do that and they, they don't respond or. They, they play this what if game and they don't realize that they're all the money they're leaving on the table because everybody's playing it safe this way. Most people are doing the yeah. experiences and the speakers and the summits at this level 10. And then there are other physical deposits into these relationships. They're not even at zero. They're negative three. Like polo shirts, that's your way to get brand out there. Like you need to reevaluate the playing field that you're on and say, damn, like, I want these guys to view me as a peer, not as a pawn or some like second junior varsity level. I better dial in those deposits. And if I don't, like, then somebody else will. And that's the person that they're going to get. They're going to be talking about the board meeting because they're like, I know this guy's going to make me look good because every touch point that he does is at a world-class level. Yeah, so much there. Sorry, so Shannon. Did you point it out? No, this, I'm getting, no this is good. I feel like dude. I'm in this church. I feel this like, I'm, what, you know. hey, you can, you are kind of in church. We can we can do church here. So a couple of things there. So first off, and we you know this because you've worked with a lot of financial advisors or people in finance. But there is a, a limitation around gifting in finance, and it's unfortunate, but it, it's needed, right? And that is you know gifting limitations depending on your licensing yeah. state, all of that. So Shannon, I know you're listening to this. We'll cover that. We do have gifting limitation, but I think what's cool is you talked about the mug. I remember Joey Coleman told a story about a harmonica that a dad played every night after dinner. And that was the thing his kids were fighting. I mean, this was a very wealthy man and his kids were fighting over like probably a $10 harmonica 
over the estate because it was the artifact and the story and the relationships and the memories that were all attached to this actually like very cheap harmonica that you could have gone and replaced for 10 bucks, right? And so I think what you just nailed in a lot of what you just hit is that I also yeah. love the peer, like, like look at the podcast right here. And I've seen this play out interviewing and having a conversation via podcast creates a level playing field. And it's just two dudes having a chat about life or gifting or wherever this conversation goes. And so I love that framework. So if you're an advisor out there and you're like, why isn't this super well-connected estate planning attorney or CPA just shoveling me referrals, they probably are not seeing you as a peer. And I remember you reminded me of a story Bo Eason told me. So I know there's many advisors that have benefited from Bo's training and former NFL athlete broad did his own Broadway show, like a really gifted and incredible storyteller. He told me, John, a story when his son went to, this was when Kobe was still living, went to a basketball camp with Kobe. And he told, and all these other kids were running up, parents running up, selfie time. And he told his son this exact statement. He goes, you are not a fan. When you're on that basketball court, you're a player just like Kobe is. And I want you to show up like a player, not be a fanboy. And I remember hearing that and I'm like, as a 42-year-old man, it's tough for me to think that way. Right. Yeah, of course. But I'm like, but, but what immediately, as soon as you show up, can I get a selfie? You've now just taken yourself down from being a peer. And I think that is such a principle you just hit on right there, but most people do it without even thinking about it. So it let's, let's go to your inner circle because that's something kind of plays on this, the logos, the artifacts you get, but you've shifted not only to the peer relationship in your gifting and how you connect and build relationships, but it's also not just like, if you were going to, you know, when let's use Michael Jordan, for example, because I know he's still living and he would be very tough to connect with. Not only do you look at it of connecting with the individual, but also who is their core inner circle. And that's a lot of your playbook too. And so like, can you share some of that playbook? Because you did that with my family. You gifted my dad and brother. I don't know if you even remember this. They were like, we were going to Sweden and you get yeah. everybody that was going these the very nice leather passports. Yeah. Covers. So you not only loved on Brad, you loved on my dad, my brother, you sent Sarah some stuff. So let's talk about that concept because that's like, even you want to get to Brad, like send Sarah something, not Brad something or send, you know, my kids something. And I've just seen you use that quite a bit and how you connect and build deep relationships. Yeah. Well, I think that whether it's your employees, whether it's your clients, centers of influence, like people are like, well, who's the decision maker? Who do I need to influence? And what they don't understand is that the head of the household or the you know, in fi- wealth management is a lot of middle-aged married white dudes selling to middle-aged married white dudes. And those guys, the advisors that are making seven figures and the clients that are making seven to 10 figures, like they have everything that they want. Like they, if they want something, they can go buy it. A tool, cigars, golf. And since everybody knows what their hobbies are, people are like, well, I'm gonna, I, I, love, I love golf or this guy loves golf. I'm going to do golf stuff. I'm like, you're dumb. He's got uh, five pairs of shoes in the closet because he goes to charity golf events all the time. He gets them for free. You want to give him a nice bag? Well, he's already got four of those. Oh, he's into bourbon. Oh, great. You're going to send him a $100 bottle of bourbon and he has a, a cellar full of pappy. 
like mm-hmm. people are like, John, like I got to spend a lot of money to get the strings attached. Let's take the, the, the rules and regulations off the table just for a second. Cause yeah. if you do experiences, you can take somebody to the Super Bowl. You can weave in your artifacts into a part of the experience. So that's part of the overall thing. And so there are ways, if you want to be, it's amazing how many times people are like, John, I got these rules and regulations. And then I handle that objection. Like, here's how you could do it legally. Here's how you do that. And they're like, ah, maybe I'm just cheap. It's not unusual to drop 10 grand on a Super Bowl ticket, but to drop 10 grand on a relationship with a physical artifact feels weird and uncomfortable. And most guys suck at gifting their wife, let alone all their clients and centers of influence. It's just an uncomfortable place to be. They don't want to look weird or uncomfortable or out of place or waste their money or, or just be silly. So to me, like if I want to get a guy's attention or a decision maker's attention, and this goes for employees, men or female, they get stuff all the time. And so what I realized is that most of the people around the people get the worst side of that person's attention. Like, it's like, Hey, we're going to mm-hmm. go play Pebble beach or go to the masters. Guess who's at home? The spouse. Guess who's at home? The kids. So there's this jealousy in almost every business where like the employee, the client, the partner, whatever it is, gets treated like gold and their treatment of gold is actually like a negative effect for the inner circle, for the assistants that have to juggle the schedule and all the stuff for the kids, for the pets. So my original mentor, Paul was just genius at this. And it's just who he was. Like he treated the receptionist like gold. He treated the, yeah. you know, this spouse, like he knew the spouse's name and, and in financial services, like what happens when most people die, the guy dies first, statistically many years before, how many widows stick with that financial advisor? What? 10%, 20%, maybe like it's a small number. Why? Cause there's no relationship there. It was with the person. And so before they die, and not just as a manipulation, I've realized like that person is half the equation, if not more. Like if I, if I want a vacation with you, my wife better like you. If I want to do business with you, yeah. my wife better like you. And so the reason so many things that we do are home focused, are hospitality focused, are kitchen focused is because most people have a significant other and they're not included. And if I can start to honor them and say, Hey, this isn't about the person who's making the money or the decisions. This is about you collectively. And I want to honor your relationships. And I want to make you look good to your people around to people. And, and so there's where you could spend way less money and have a thousand times more impact. Because if I get the people around the people feeling love for our clients, then they become the internal advocate and salesperson that says, Hey, we need to work with them. And I had it happen with John Bowen. I met him at a mastermind. It was like 10, 20 grand or whatever it was. And his response after spending an hour with me was like, this is cute, but this will never work with these seven figure financial guys. I started to send him little mini heart bombs, knives and leather goods, whatever else. His wife, Jan, started asking him before bedtime, like, hey, have you done anything with John Rulin? She, like, he was like, dude, you're, I feel like I'm sleeping with your sales rep. Like my wife's never met you. I've been in business 35 years and she's talking about you before dinner before lunch, she's brought your name up six times in the last six weeks. And so we did a program with him just to test it out. He fought me every, like you didn't want to follow the recipe at all, but we did. These are all seven figure guys. The referrals went up 107% over anything he's ever done. And it wasn't because the people couldn't afford the thing. It was because we honored the spouses. We made him track down all of the names, all of the little details communicated that, wow, this felt like subconsciously different. And, and when you can honor that inner circle, those four buckets, spouses or significant others, you know, team, pets and kids, that's where 80 to 90%, when people hire us to do a relationship plan, 
I don't care that somebody likes golf or hunting or whatever else. Like, that's cool. Maybe we touch on that occasionally. You want to get super deep and be really like surgeon-like and effective with your dollars. Like you take care of that inner circle, not the hobbies and the interest of the decision maker. Yeah, you did that. You ran that playbook too. And, and what was cool, so my prior life, one of the things I did too, influenced by you, you know, you connect and you have a podcast interview with somebody that's like super busy, has a lot going on, a lot of requests for their time. And then most podcasts I found, because I've, I've done obviously plenty on this side of the mic, but I've also done my fair share as a guest. It's kind of like you show up, you do the interview and then never hear from the person again. And I was like, that's not cool. Like, honestly, like I'm having conversations with people that would charge 10, 20, $30,000 for an hour of their time, 50,000 if you're on a stage. Right. Yeah. And so I started saying, Hey, thank you. I know novel idea. And I know you helped me with some <laughs> gifting and it's crazy how I got so many responses back of like, man, I've been on a hundred shows and this is the first time I've gotten a legitimate thank you for the guest appearance. You actually thought through something that was personalized. And because of that, like my, one of my biggest fears as a podcast host is, man, I'm going to start out and have five, 10 incredible guests. And then it's going to be crickets from there. Yeah. I've, I've never had an issue. It's like, oh, like you've been super kind and super gracious with a lot of intros and connections, but so have many of my other guests. And I, I, I like to think it's because I actually said like, hey, thank you. Your time matters. It's very valuable. I didn't take that for granted. And hey, here's a little something to say thanks for carving out the time and adding value to my audience. And so this stuff just, it works. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just the other people, be grateful for other people and show them that gratitude in a meaningful way. And yeah, the, yeah, the so. bar is low in podcasting. Like I've gotten like Starbucks gift cards and whatever else. I'm like, did you not listen? Like I listed off the 10 worst gifts to avoid giving and gift cards and alcohol and food run. They're like, what? like yeah, I mean, my, my time was worth a lot. It was like, this is unbelievable, which by the way, I mean, if, if you guys want to go download like the worst gifts to avoid giving and just like have a baseline to talk to their teams or assistants about the givers with an S, thegiversedge.com is a place to start. And then we also send like our top 10 articles that walk through. So they don't have to go buy giftology. They can start to like assimilate. And, and if somebody would just follow some of these articles that not even the full playbook, like the bar is so low in this area whether it's podcast mm-hmm. gifting, employee gifting, client gifting, like people just suck at it. And, and everybody sucks collectively and looks around and, and we all think like, it's like the anniversary thing. Like, Hey, you've been here for five years. Here's a, here's a catalog of crap. You don't want that. You could buy at Walmart or target for 17 bucks with our logo on. Thanks for putting in 10,000 hours with us. Like, how is that gratitude for an employee? It's like the worst thing. I'm, like, how is that even like shown as gratitude? It's like, it actually damages the relationships, but to me, like if I had a podcast, which I don't yet, we started recording a few episodes with like Patrick, Bet David, and and some of those like top tier people, just because we had access to them or hanging out for the day. But I'm like, I would be dreaming up crazy stuff because I'm like, because like some of these guys, a keynote, like a James Clear, I, I just helped him book a, a keynote for somebody. He's at $175,000 for an hour. So prime example. He came on the old show right as his book Atomic Habits was launching. So he was like, I caught him in the, I caught him in like this phase of the upward trajectory. Well done. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, like that is as a podcast guest, that is a serious gift of time. Just like this is like, I don't take this for granted, even though we're friends. 
And like most people just like literally, it's very one-sided. It's like the person gave their time. Here's what most podcast guests, as I said, like, why don't you do anything? I'm like, well, you know, I feel like I gave them a platform. They should be sending me the gift. So the ego gets involved. The egotistical, yeah. like you should be thanking me. I'm, I'm exposing you to all these people. I'm not charging you for all this media, which in one hand, as a business owner, I can say, cool. Yeah. But like when you flip the script and you say like, yeah, I'm going to give you all this exposure, but like you didn't have to come on. And a lot of these people, like they don't need the exposure, like a James Clear or a Ryan Holiday or a, like Ed Milet or all, look at all these people. They have plenty of exposure. and the time is the one asset that nobody gets back. It's like the most valuable thing on the planet. Somebody gives you five minutes of time, five hours of time, you know, 50 minutes, like that is so valuable. And when you can say like, yeah, I'm going to give you all this thing that you're not expecting anything, which is great. Like that's the time you should be showing up. Like I send nicer gifts to Cutco and my suppliers. I buy millions of dollars of product from, and it's not, it's because like from an intellectual perspective, like I don't have a business. As much as I could say, like, yeah, I'm the client, I'm buying from you. I don't have a business without a lot of key relationships. I don't have a business without like my key insurance provider. Like, and I had some people that started sending stuff to their financial advisors and their attorneys that charge a thousand dollars an hour. And these guys would reach back out crying or tears in their eyes or like saying, like, in 35 years of having a business, this is the first time anybody's ever like sent me a really thoughtful gift not as a manipulation, just as like a, an acknowledgement that like they really value what I brought to the table as a part of their team. And so I think that for me, if I could get more people to do a 360 degree view of all of the people over the last 10, 20, 30 years that have poured into them or given them the opportunity or been in their corner or supplied something or been something, mentors or coaches or, you know, like I've even gone back to like teachers and write notes and say, hey, like send a gift with a note and say, hey, like you impacted me. I'm grateful for that, that we crossed paths and that you invested in my life, whatever that happened to be. And when you can take the time to do that, it's just a, such an unlock of like flourishing and opportunity and, and it feels good selfishly. Like you love on people, like it, it comes back, like this avalanche of like love and gratitude. Just for me, it's become addictive. Like, you know, yeah. if I'm addicted to anything. Like, it's like, I love that feeling of like knowing, like, I'm making people feel a certain way and it, and it comes back tenfold. Couldn't agree more. It is addicting to show gratitude. And that's the other thing I've seen. Like one of my favorite things to do, and I know you are the master of this. We talked about it a lot is I've got a lot of great people in my network. I'm very thankful for that. And then I crossed across new awesome people in my network and the and the power of connecting great people in your network to where it starts out as, you know, this awkward, like, who's this dude or who's this girl? And then like six months later, you see them pop up on a podcast together. And you're like, oh, I planted the seed that grew into a real relationship that benefited both of them. And it's so a gift. gift. It's like, yes, absolutely. And if you edit like that, you you talked about like the way we introduce and I, and I do try to hold this up. How many times have you seen somebody get introduced and they don't even connect? Make, well, you make a really good point there because I've been on text intros. I mean, we're all really busy. And it's like, hey, Joe, meet Brad, send. And then the other person doesn't even respond. And they're like, because why would they? They don't even know who this random stranger is, right? But the way you do an intro, you're like putting each person up on a pedestal. You're saying, here's something they do that I believe can add value to you and vice versa. It's not a one-way street. And 
they always respond back. Part of it is probably because the relationship you've built and they trust you. But also the other part is, oh, here's somebody that I think is worth connecting with. It's a, well, it's, you know, Derek Coburn talks about it, Cadre. It's double opt-in always. Even people I already know, it's like, hey, I want to make this introduction to you. Here's why I think it's awesome for you. And then I go to the other person and like, hey, I want to make this introduction to you. I've already teed it up. Like, I think that this could be amazing for you. So now they're both leaning in. And then you like edify them. Then you edify them both on a pedestal, not a weird or like made up way. It's like, no, like this person, like I'm not taking the time to introduce like junior varsity people. Like this person's amazing. I think that this is going to be amazing for whatever. And like when you tee it up to be a win and that's really like, that's a Joe Polish. Like he's got like, he's been doing it for 30 years. The playbook of what's in it for them. We're always thinking about what's in it for us. And when you can take that away and get the double opt-in and provide context and meaning to where both of them are leaning in, and then I'll follow up. I will like, oftentimes, if I don't see any chatter, I will like lean in and be like, hey guys, I know you're busy. I want to make sure that you guys connect. And then not 100% rate, but like I care enough. If I'm going to take my time to make two introductions, I know sparks are going to fly and there's going to be like this crazy bonfire. Like, and I think it's like, the extra time to ask, like people are just like, oh, I know that this is good for them. Well, they don't know it's good for them and they're busy and they're on a plane. And so it's like those extra, it's like anything else. Like it's always the extra steps that most people don't think they have time for, but really you're just wasting your social capital and you're not making it a gift. It's more of an obligation. And yeah. whether you're giving gifts out of obligation, whether you're making introductions out of obligation, not like who the hell likes an obligation? Like nobody, like we have too many of them on put onto us. Like, but you, when you can like make it a gift that way, like, man, look out. Well, and to your point, one of the reasons people in your network connect openly is they know you'll never take advantage of it. It's not the, oh, I snagged this dude's cell phone and now I'm leveraging him or her for my own personal gain. So the double opt-in which you've done that. You're like, Hey, I, I think I've got somebody that should come on the podcast. What are your thoughts? And you will hit me up first. I'm like, absolutely. Yes. So you're always checking both sides. So it's never an awkward one way intro. It's always like, yes, both sides have, have given the thumbs up. And and by the way, that simple step is one of the reasons all of your connections are so they're real. And there's actually action that follows up from, from the intro versus just a random text that gets lost in the ether. So, well, Hey, my man, I know we're towards the end here. With the new show, because you were on the old one. In fact, you helped, you were like super generous with not only your own time on that, but also you made a ton of intros to a lot of people that became guests on the show. So thank you. I should have probably started out the uh, conversation with that. But the next chapter, Do Business, Do Life, which is how I've lived, how you've lived. Front Row Dads has been instrumental in that. A lot of the other different experiences we've both been a part of. But I want to hear John Ruland's definition of what is do business, do life to John. Well, I think it's when I think about it, I think a lot of times people live in silos and they show up differently in one silo than the other. And to me, it means like have an integrated life where who you are at home, who you are on stage, who you are with your family, who you are with your clients. It's like if you say you're world class, you're world class in all those areas, at least to the best of your ability. And so do business, do life means to me, like you play full out, you show up powerfully, you're all in and, and you're integrated and you're not siloing off and like, Oh, I'm a complete D bag over here, but I'm amazing over here. It's that integrated life 
and whether it's business or whatever else, it's just like who you are as a human. Yeah. And it means your daughter, Reagan can just hop on and make guest appearances. If you're on a podcast, which I love that's do business, do life. So Reagan, if you're still in there, thanks for being patient and letting me borrow some of your dad's time. And by the way, my wife is a head volleyball coach, a pretty dang good one, one four-time state champ. So if you ever want some extra coaching on the volleyball side, come on over Silver Lake, Kansas. We'll, we'll put you up for a few days. World class. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Dude, You're you welcome. just dropped a little heart bomb on me right there. Like Reagan's would be like, hey, when are we going to Kansas, Dad? <laughs> Anytime. Always Dude. welcome. Awesome. All right, y'all. Well, Reagan, John, thank you. It's been an awesome conversation as always. And till next time, John, we'll see you, buddy. Much love, brother. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode on to the featured review of the week. This review comes to us from user jdotter13 via Apple Podcasts. Follow this podcast five stars. I've known Brad for well over 15 years and had the pleasure of working with him for nearly 10 of that. If you don't know Brad, you won't meet a more authentic human being, someone who genuinely cares about the people with whom he does business and life, DBDL. His previous podcast had great insight from business and industry leaders, and I imagine his new podcast will bring even more value to advisors or anyone looking to grow their business. I love what I've seen and heard so far, and I'm looking forward to each and every forthcoming episode. Don't hesitate to give Brad a listen. You won't regret it. Well, Jay, because I do know who left this one, thanks so much for the kind words, man. And also thanks for all that you did for the advisors that I've worked with over the years when we worked side by side. And I just want to say there's one word out of that review that means so much to me, and it's the word authentic. And that's what I strive to be every day with my family, with the team here at Triad, with the Triad members we serve. And it's who I like to surround myself with too, is just authentic, real human beings. And oftentimes that means we might disagree on topics, or we might have different opinions or viewpoints. But we can have authentic, real conversations. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of is really trying to develop a culture here at Triad of how I heard it framed one time is people that disagree in a friendly way. (laughs) And I think you can have some healthy debates, iron sharpens iron, all of that. But if you have a place where you don't allow those conversations to happen and blossom, it kind of shuts down the whole point of surrounding yourself with really smart people with great talents who, who have gifts that you don't. And I think as leaders, I heard George W. Bush say one time, and regardless of politics, the guy did become president of the United States of America. So he's probably got some pretty sound advice. He said his goal was to be the dumbest guy in the room. And that's one of, I know Sean and I's goals here at Triad, and that takes a sense of humility to be able to admit that, hey, I'm I'm surrounding myself with smarter people that can add a ton of value. And so anyway, Jay, appreciate the thoughts. Thanks for listening. And I think let's all try to be as authentic and real as we can. That's what leads to the real conversations, the real breakthroughs from my experience. So that's it for this week. I will catch you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. 
As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations. 